But um, really, it's just such a joy to see you, um, to be with you this morning, and um, I've, I've wrestled through this preach so much. It took me about three or four days just to land on a text and where to, how do you sort of explain the wonder of what Christmas is, and uh, really have struggled through it. I think one of the difficult um, things of a preacher is to try and take the supernatural, the glory of God, the unexplainable, and put it into words. And how do you, how do, you do that with such a miraculous story of Jesus coming down and becoming a baby? I mean, it's like, it's like this paradox of, of glory and vulnerability in a moment. And it's quite something. And uh, I thought about speaking about the, the, the wonders of the shepherds and the sheep and the angels and this glory and majesty and uh, just a normal day at the same time, you know, that, that out of this, this normal day comes the, the heavens opening and these angels singing. Can you imagine the shepherds? I mean, they must have got such a fright. Imagine that happening at work. But, um, but what I love about the story is that there's old and young and rich and poor and clever and professional and um, tradesmen all involved in this story. And I just want to invite you into the story today. And I'm not going to be doing the normal Christmas story. I'm going to look at a slightly different text. And this has probably been one of my best Christmases because it's forced me to really look at Christmas. Um, what I've, I grew up, my mom is like the biggest Christmas nut I know. Like, she's got one of those houses that, that if you look on Google Earth, it like, it like blinks in Pantown, you know? Like, that's, that's my mom, like this crazy Christmas um, light everywhere. It's really quite something. And when I moved out, I was like, thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and then I married my wife, who is second to my mom. <laughs> and God has a sense of humor. But, uh, but it's forced me to look at, at, um, at Jesus and the wonder. And can we open our Bibles? John chapter 1. I'm going to look at John chapter 1. And um, we're going to just spend some time here. Rather than the specifics of what happened on the day, we're going to zoom out a little bit and see the, the wonder of what's going on behind the scenes. John chapter 1, verse 1. And Father, before we get into your word, I ask that you would um, come and reveal yourself to us, Lord. Come and show us yourself. Um, come and open up our eyes. Could you, would you show us true wonder, Lord? Would you show us true awe? I pray that we'd see you, Jesus. In this text, would you come and reveal yourself to us, to every heart, to every mind, that we would know you, Lord. That's your desire, is that we would know you, that we would long for you, that we would, that we would live with you. And I pray that you would come and do something of that this morning, Lord. I, I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, you're the one who comes and opens up eyes and hearts. And would you come and do what only you can? your precious name we pray. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Important text. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Him, that has been made. In Him is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is my main text for the morning. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And then verse um, 16 says, Out of his fullness we have all received a grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Beautiful text. I encourage you to go over, and even as I'm finished preaching, because I can only bring out so much from this text, that you would go home and read it again and ask God to show you some wonderful things about himself. So we're going to be looking at the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's what we're looking at. So the word, what do you think of when you think of the word? This text is telling us is that it's Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You would recognize that earlier in the year we did Genesis chapter 3 or chapter 1. It speaks about in the beginning was God. So yeah, this text is telling us that the word is God. I'm not going to go and unpack all of it now, but I just thought we want to look at who God is in his fullness. Because I think to understand what it means for God to become man, it's helpful to know who God is. And uh, I can say many things. I can say that he's all-powerful. I can say that he's all-knowing, all-present. And those things might mean nothing to you. But I thought what we could do is we could take a little science trip. Are you guys keen for some science? I know Mikey and Kate are. So how many planets do you have in our solar system? Not a trick question. Nine, eight, seven and a half. What are we going with? Eight. Eight. Yes, we've got eight. How many stars? One. What's the star's name? The sun. Yes. Okay. So how many stars? Here's a trick. Well, not a trick one, but a, a slightly bigger question. How many stars are in our galaxy, the Milky Way? Lots. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Lots. Come on, take a guess. Where? Where? What have we got? A hundred billion. Anywhere else? Have we got anything else? Three trillion. Three trillion. Okay, easy, Tiger. No over-overing over there. Just, uh, just calm down. Three trillion. So we've got between 100 and 400 billion stars just in our galaxy, which is called the Milky Way. Where's a picture of the Milky Way? How beautiful is that? Isn't that incredible? We're somewhere in there. So, so there's 100, between 100 and 400 billion stars, but every star has at least, what? One planet. So now you've got to multiply that by at least two. In our, in our solar system, we have eight. So now, how big would you say the Milky Way is? Very big. Before Mikey says it, yes, very big. What did you say? A couple of light years. How, how, how much is a light year? Does anyone know how much a light year is in kilometers? What did, what did Greg say? One parsec. One parsec. <laughs> Come on. How many kilometers in a light year? 300 million per second? Oh, per second. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't work that out. Any, any other guesses? There are 9.46 trillion kilometers per light year. Okay? Durban to Joburg is about 600, just to give you a <laughs> slight comparison. 9.46. Four, six trillion kilometers. Okay? So now, the size of the Milky Way, about 100,000 light years across. 100,000 light years multiplied by 9.46 trillion kilometers. Okay. That's quite a bit. Next picture. This is our neighbor. That's called Andromeda, I think. Andromeda. That's also pretty beautiful, isn't it? Slightly bigger than Earth, double, I mean, slightly bigger than the Milky Way, double the size. They say about 220,000 
light years from that one side to the other side over there. So 220,000 multiplied by 9.46 trillion kilometers. That's the size of that. Okay, now, the third picture looks rather average. So what do you think that is? <laughs> so the, the stars, yeah, yeah, it's not wrong. So this, this is a picture of, of like, what, what they did is they took a tiny little section of space and they took the Hubble telescope, you know that Hubble telescope, and they, and they let it record light for about, I think it was about uh, 10 days, if I'm not mistaken. It just picked up all the light that came through. And about 10 to 15 billion light years away, this is what they saw. And this here is one galaxy there. It's a slightly closer one. That there is another galaxy, a little bit further away. That there is another galaxy. So in this tiny little picture over here, they counted 10,000 galaxies multiplied by between 100 and 400 billion stars per galaxy. That's, that's 10,000 times, I don't know how much, that's just a lot of noughts. <laughs> but I just wanted to like expand us slightly because, you know, sometimes I think we think of God and we, we, we miss the magnificence of who he is. Every galaxy, I mean, and now you've got Earth. One, one little planet in the midst of 100 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy, in the midst of 100 to 200 billion galaxies in the universe. And then Isaiah goes and says that he measures it with, with the breadth of his hand. Our God measures the universe with the breadth of his hand. The Word became flesh. Just brings you a little bit, now you've got to think, every thought in the, human, in the human race, he knows before it's even spoken out. Every hair is numbered by every person, by, on every person that's ever been born and ever will be born. He knows everything, about everything on earth and in the universe. It's incredible. It's actually unbelievable. I had to, I had to spend some time, because when you did our study on on, on Genesis, I was, you know, we can sometimes say the stars, but, but that's the stars. And that's one, I think they said that picture was one thirtieth of a, thirty millionth of our sky. Ten thousand, it's like it's, it's beyond our brains, you know. And then he's, it says that he's self-existent. He needs nothing to exist within himself. Just, just out of himself he exists. He has no need. Absolutely no need. No, no air, no oxygen, nothing. He cannot die. He's sovereign. He's eternal. I mean, if you take all of time, somebody explained it to me, and you just take a roll of paper that just keeps going around and round and round and round, and you put a little line on that long, that's all of our time within God's eternality. He sees everything at one time because he's outside of time. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by anything. He's completely infinite, eternal, self-sufficient, self-existent, glorious God. The Word became flesh. He became limited. He became a baby. I mean, I, I don't know, I can't comprehend that. He became 
vulnerable. He, he, needed, he needed nappies. He needed to, to feed from his mother. He needed to be dressed by his mother and father. He needed to be taught how to walk. He needed to go through those toddler years and be disciplined. He needed to go through puberty. He needed to go through all of those things. The word became flesh. The infinite becomes finite. He needed air. I mean, the one who created air needed air. The one who, who created flesh became flesh. He needed water. He needed sleep. He, be, he came into, I mean, it's, it's almost, it's like, it's impossible in a way. The all-powerful became limited. The independence became dependent. Like ourselves, he hungered. He thirsted. He ate. He drank. He slept. He was wearied. He felt pain. He wept. He rejoiced. He marveled. He was moved to anger. God got angry. Thank God he was limited. And compassion. Having become flesh and taken on a body, he prayed, he read the scriptures, he suffered being tempted, and submitted his human will to the will of the Father. J.C. Ryle spoke. He completely humbled himself. God of God became man. The Word became flesh. And not only did he humble himself by becoming a man, he humbled himself to the very lowest of men. Philippians chapter 2 says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something, something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. So now he doesn't just become man, he becomes the lowest of men. He becomes a servant. Everyone thinks, I think even in our, our culture, <laughs> a Christian culture, that, that servant is, a, is a, in a sense an heir of glory until you're treated like a servant. <laughs> then you, there's no, a servant is completely missed. Nobody thinks about a servant. Nobody um, worries about the servant. You do what you need to do and, and stay out of the way is essentially what a servant says. Unrecognized God, the word becoming flesh, and not just flesh, a very servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, goes even another level deeper. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Genesis 3, we see man fighting for their independence. We see man saying, God, we don't want you, God, <laughs> Lord of all creation. We don't want you. We want, we want what we want. We want our, our own will, our own way. And we see, in a sense, man rejecting their dependence on God and making themselves independent. And where pride comes from. That's where pride comes from. It's like, I want what I want. And we see, we see Jesus doing the very opposite. He's saying, actually, forget what I want. I'm completely emptying myself. Part of that, that word where it says he made himself nothing is he emptied all of his God attributes in a sense, and he, and he submitted himself perfectly to the Father. He humbled himself. He, he gave everything up so that he would be completely dependent on his God. Beautiful humility. If I had to define humility, I would say humility is dependence. Dependence on God. And we fought God for our independence, and Jesus models perfect dependence, humbles himself, gives up everything of his own, right to the point of death, even death on a cross. Unbelievable. Born as a baby, raised up as a man, 30 years without sin. Try to go 10 minutes. <laughs> 30 years without sin, silent, quiet, being prepared for three years of incredible ministry. Perfect, perfect man. In John chapter 5, verse 30, it says, by myself, I can do nothing. This is Jesus speaking by, myself, by himself. By myself, I can do nothing. Completely dependent on the Father. Perfect humility, perfect dependence, perfect obedience. 
all in this little baby. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Beautiful passage that says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, with our flesh, with our brokenness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that amazing? God becoming man to allow man to enjoy God. Actually, it's like this perfect, this perfect sacrifice that's made that allows us to, to come back into that place where we can enjoy the Father in perfect humility. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and tabernacled among us, set up camp, put up a tent, is another way of saying that. And just a side note, I can't escape this thought, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And about 500 years, they say 500 to 700 years before that, it said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. But his parents were not living in Bethlehem. Where were they living? Nazareth. Yeah, they were living somewhere else. So 500 years beforehand, God saw that his parents would be living in the wrong place. So what did he do? He manipulated the government. Literally. He changed the, 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 the very actions of the government to, to make sure that his perfect will would be carried out. He changed the, the government, the, the, the actions of the government, to ensure that his perfect will is carried out. And here we are worrying quite a lot about our government. And I just felt God say, just peace, peace. You do not need to worry God is able to shift the actions of any government in every part of the world to be able to carry out his perfect plan. Every action of the government is in the hands of God. Nothing is outside of the hands of God. And you may be worried about what's going to happen this year or next year or the following year, and you can have full assurance in the sovereign hand of God. I think, I think when I look at those, those pictures of space, there, there can only be one sovereign. There can only be one who's in control. There can only be one who knows what he's doing. There can only be one righteous, one perfect, one, one beautiful being, and it's God. And we need not fear anything else. We need not worry. We need not be concerned because God came and dwelt among us, and he made sure that his, the parents of, of, of Jesus, his son, would be at the right place to fulfill his perfect scripture, which is outlaid from time, eternity past. Unbelievable. I, I, that gave me such a sense of peace. So he came and he tabernacled, among, tab, tabernacled. Why? Why would he do that? Because he wants us to know him. God wants you to know him. He's not hiding himself. You know, if, if, if a prince moved into Pinetown and built this massive palace and put these huge walls around his building, he would be making quite a statement. He says, I'm here, but don't come near me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm higher than, I'm more than. But, but if the prince came and set up a tent in your backyard, that's saying a completely different statement. That's saying, actually, I want to know you. I want to come and use your toilets. I'm going to eat at your table because my tent is, you know, it's a tent. <laughs> but, but he's saying, actually, I want intimacy with you. I want to be with you. I want you to know me, and I, want, and I want to know you. I want to come into intimate relationship and fellowship with you. And right from the start, God's been wanting to do that. Right from the very beginning, God longs for us to know him and for, for, for him to know us, for, for, for us, in a sense, to open up ourselves for him to come into. In Exodus 29, 
says that they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt and that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God wants you to know him. Paul in Ephesians, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. God never changes. His desire has always been that we would know him. And the very, the very fact that he sent down his son as a baby is the, the ultimate extension of his hand to say, I'm, I'm making a way for you to come and know me. He can do no more than giving his own very son that we would be able to enjoy him and tabernacle with him and enjoy his presence. I love, I love there's an amazing passage where, uh, even in John, where it speaks about how the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And, and even in, in Moses, we see something of God, God's desire to tabernacle with us. And, um, and Moses said to God, uh, sorry, Moses said to God, and this is Exodus chapter 33. We know this passage, but I just want to show you that it's, it's, it's virtually the same as John. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, if you do not tabernacle with us, if you do not dwell with us, then do not send us up from here. We don't want anyone else. We want you. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? The presence of God distinguishes us as his people. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses says, now show me your glory. What an interesting statement. And then, and then God says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then we see in Exodus 34, it says, the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there and with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate gracious God, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in covenantal faithfulness, in chesed, in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. You know, sometimes we read the law and we think it's God's hand against us, but what the law does is it shows us ourselves. The law itself is good, but here we see God's desire is that, is that he would reveal himself to us as gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And, and how does he do that? Through his son. Jesus comes full of grace and truth. We see right there it says, and we have seen his glory. We behold him. We've seen Jesus. The very, the very promise of God is in this child. Grace and truth and compassion is displayed through his son. God wants us to know him through his son. He doesn't give us any other way to come to him. It's through this, this child that's been born. It's through this perfect sacrifice, this covenantal faithfulness, this promise that's been made. It's through him that God wants us to know him. And if you, if you are confused about God or feel like you, you don't understand him in any way, I would say look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and you will see the fullness of who God is. You will see the fullness of God's heart. You'll see the fullness of his love and the fullness of his grace. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 it says, um, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, which is saying if you want to see God, look at Jesus. Look at him. That word that we got from Princess last week, make eye contact with Jesus. 
When you do, everything else will, 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 will fade away. And Jesus, I think in a sense, is inviting us to behold him, to look at him, to, to see him in the fullness of who he is, because he is full of grace and truth. I love how, how we've looked at the heavens and the stars, and we can, in a sense, go, wow, isn't that incredible? And it says that the glory, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. All day the, the heavens are saying, look at how wonderful I am. Look at that. But, but, but Jesus actually, he goes one step further and he says, uh, sorry, not Jesus, God, when he's speaking to, to Moses, he says, how is my glory displayed? Through my character. Not through, through what I've done, but through my character. Through, through my graciousness and through my compassion and through my steadfast love is the true glory that, that I'm wanting to show you. Because it says, out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. Because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. What does grace mean to you? I think grace only really shines brightest in the, the darkness of the world, the darkness of sin. I think when we see our hearts fully or you see the world fully, you see the wonder of grace. You see the brokenness of mankind. I, I hate at times thinking through the, the depths of depravity of man when you think of child trafficking or, um, you, you know, I mean, what's the worst synergy? You think of like the Holocaust with Hitler just, just completely murdering a whole bunch of, of innocent people. And you think, how, how dark is the, the human soul? Anybody who's wrestled with the, the darkness of the human soul, I think, I think we'll... we'll, we'll fully see the wonder of what grace is, see the fullness of what grace is. And, and I think God wants us to see the wonder of his grace into the darkness of, of our soul because he's full of grace. He's, he's basically saying, and I try to think of different analogies, and I, it's a scandal. <laughs> grace is a scandal. It's basically saying that the worst of the worst sinners, like you, you've heard the picture of a, of a judge forgiving, forgiving somebody who is counted guilty, basically saying that, that I, I will pay your debt. But, but it goes even beyond that because it doesn't just say I will pay your debt. I will, I will take your penalty. I will die on your behalf. But it goes even further than that. It doesn't just say I will die on your behalf. It says I will give you the full rights of my family. I will give you the full rights as an inheritance of my son to somebody who is completely undeserving. To somebody who, who, who completely has messed up in every single way, the worst of worst sinners. That's basically what grace is. It's God saying, I, I forgive you. I extend unmerited favor towards you. I pardon you. I say you no longer need to carry the shame of your guilt, the shame of what's been done to you, and the shame of what you've done to others. Grace. It's a scandal unbelievable, but it is believable at the same time. And God says, I come full of grace and truth. And in his person, all that grace and truth, which, which has been floating in the shadowy forms, talking about throughout the Old Testament, and darting into the souls of the poor and needy, its broken beams took everlasting possession of human flesh and filled it full. While this incarnation of grace and truth, the teaching of thousands of years, was at once transcended and beggared, and the family of God sprang into manhood. Beautiful. God extending grace to you. And I, my prayer for us has been that we would receive the grace of God today. It might have been a hectic year for you. 
I don't know where each of you are. It might have been a crazy year. It might have been difficult. It might have been amazing. But I feel like God wants us to receive his grace. And not just grace, but truth. Because grace without truth pampers. In the same way, truth without grace hammers. It's like you can't have the one without the other. You need grace and truth. Grace to forgive and to redeem and to heal and truth to guide and to, and to bring change and to bring God's way. And I, I think one of the, the best stories that I, uh, when I think of grace and truth is this lady who's caught in adultery, literally caught in the act of adultery. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Must have been humiliating, completely humiliating. It's amazing how they just pull the lady though, not the man. But, um, but this lady comes before God and before Jesus and Jesus says, he's out without sin, can throw the first stone. And what does Jesus say to her? Where's everybody gone? Why, why has nobody condemned you? And then Jesus says to her, he says, go, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Perfect grace and perfect truth. Perfect grace, Jesus, Jesus extending no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But truth, go and sin no more. There, there's a change that I, I love you enough not to leave you in this position. I love you enough to bring you out of it and into a new way of life. And that's why I love the truth piece. And I, I read this and I thought this was good. It says, grace without truth is not really grace. Truth without grace is not really truth. Grace without truth pampers. Truth without grace hammers. Grace without truth is love without correction. Truth without grace is correction without love. Grace without truth is mercy without justice. Truth without grace is justice without mercy. Grace without truth is soft and it spoils people. Truth without grace is harsh and it crushes people. Grace without truth is freedom without responsibility. Truth without grace is responsibility without freedom. Either extremes are neither of Christ or the gospel. Grace and truth. And that's what we need in our lives. I think all of us, it's amazing how we all love truth. We want the truth in our, in our civil society. We want the truth when, when somebody tells a lie. We want the truth when somebody does wrong. We want the truth. We want justice when something happens to, to us. But when we do something wrong, what do we want? Grace. Grace. Why? Because we understand God. Naturally, in our, in our human way, we understand God. And, and Jesus has come full of grace and full of truth. So what do we do with all of this? Here's a baby born in a manger that we remember today. There's a, there's a wonderful story that we can either just go, wow, that's cool, or we can receive the grace and the truth and the wonder of Jesus and, 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 and walk out the fullness of life that he has for us, or we can reject it. There's really two options that we have because, because the, the greatest gift that ever has been given is this, this beautiful gift of Jesus Christ who came in, a, in, a, in the form of a baby, who lived, who died, who rose again, and is now ascended on high, who one day we will stand before where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we can either receive this truth or we can reject it. It's really the two options that God gives us. He doesn't really give us much. And and. And I love that it says that those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. That, that completely changed my world when I heard that. With those who receive Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. 
for me, it was the most profound truth because I'd come from a broken past. I'd come from, from a broken story. And, and I heard of this wonderful father who says that if I receive his son, I get the rights of a child. I get the heir to all the promises of God. I get to be an heir with him. And Jesus, I love how he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, those of you who've been trying and trying and trying to be right with God. Come to me. And come to me, those of you who are heavy laden, those of you who feel like you've had stuff put on you and put on you. You must do this. You must do that. You must do that to be right with God. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the invitation that, that Jesus gives us is, is now, if you come to him, you'll find him gentle and humble in heart. And he was, he'll want to receive you. And he's opening up his arms to you and he's saying, come. Come and enjoy the fullness of the life that I have for you. Forget about the, the weight of, of your own sin. Forget about the weight that other people have put on you. Forget about your own weight of expectation that you put on yourself and come to me and enjoy the freedom and the joy of life that I have for you. Because you can come to him now, but there'll be a time when you can't. There'll be a time when you can't come to him. And those who don't come to him will find a very different Jesus. They will find the Lord of glory who is full of wrath and anger against the sin that mankind has done against him, rebellion against him, and, and they'll find a very different Jesus. But now is the time where he says, come to me, and you'll find me gentle and humble in heart. And that's what he invites us to. He says, all that those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never cast out. You can at any moment turn towards your Lord and your Savior, and he will never cast you out. I love that. But there's a moment where, where that offer will no longer be. And my, my, my exhortation, my, my, my heart, my plea is for each of us to come to Jesus and enjoy him for the fullness. And for us as believers, that means that we get to be reminded of the wonder of his grace, yet again, that washes us and cleanses us and, and forgives us and redeems us and we get his righteousness and his holiness and we get to stand under his favor and his joy and his pleasure. There's no sense of angst towards you by your father. There's no sense of I'm disappointed or you shouldn't have done that. There's a, there's a fullness of grace that he has for you and come to him and remember that. And for those who don't know him this morning, I would say he's offering himself to you. He's offering himself to you. The fullness of life. And we've been, we may look for life everywhere else, but, but Jesus is the fullness of life that he offers to you this morning. And in the fullness of life, he gives you a place, an identity in his home, a room in his home. I love that. He gives you the, the, the fullness of identity. Every person is looking for something to identify with. And, and God offers himself as your identity. He offers a place as, as, as a son and as a daughter in the house of the Most High. I, I can't understand why nobody would, nobody would accept Jesus. I actually can't understand it. I, I battle to, to, to comprehend that, that somebody would rather, because there's two options, you're a child of God or a child of Satan. Who wants to be a child of the devil? I mean, come on. Nobody. Nobody wants. And God offers, offers to be a child in his own household with an identity that says you're my son or my daughter who I love. He gives you his affection. Everybody's looking for affections. These broken relationships that happen, all of it is sorted out by receiving the affection of Jesus. All of it is, is sorted out by receiving the affection of, of, of our Lord. 
and the affirmation where, where God says, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Isn't it beautiful when somebody says, I'm proud of you? I know when I said it to Abby, I'm proud of you, she, she, I can see her light up. I can see her find joy. And when God says, I'm proud of you, I'm pleased with you. Man, is that not the greatest gift on offer to each of us today? Amen. Amen. So can we stand together? We've got an incredible song that we, we're going to go out with. Um, I think it's called King of Kings Tools, is it right? But um, before, before we even get there, I'd hate, I'd hate to, you know, I thought of Oprah Winfrey, the one, one time she, she offered a car under everybody's seat, and everybody's getting one, was, was, was the statement that she made. And, 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 and can you imagine people not receiving that gift? I can't, I can't imagine anybody saying no thanks. But, but this morning, I, I just want to extend that offer to each of us. To, to, you may feel like you're far from God this morning, and maybe with every eye closed, maybe as the band plays, and you may feel like, actually, that's me. I, I feel like I'm far from God. I, I, I've heard the Christmas story before. Um, you know, I understand a baby Jesus, um, but, I, but I, I feel like I, I haven't received the grace of God. I haven't received the gift that he has on offer for me. And I feel like God wants to, to extend that gift to you. And it's not, it's not, it's not complicated you don't have to do anything um, weird or, or fancy, or, but it's, it's a receiving of the gift of Jesus to you this morning. He's saying, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. I've come that you may receive me. I've come that you may have the perfect and most beautiful life. And yes, the life will cost you everything, but you'll gain everything, far more than you'll ever lose. And if that's you this morning, if you if you want to receive Jesus as your, your Lord and as your Savior this morning, just raise your hand where you are, not for anybody else to see. It's just you with God. If you want to place your faith, you want to put your trust in Jesus this morning, and you want to say, Lord, I'm, I'm done with the old. I'm receiving this gift of salvation, this gift of grace, this gift of love, this gift of mercy. You can just raise your hand, not for anybody else, but just for, for you and God to say, Lord, I'm receiving this gift. give you rest and I'm inviting you into his rest I'm inviting you into his peace and for the church those of us who know him Lord this morning we look to you our, our precious Savior our King our Lord thank you Father thank you that you became a man that you took on flesh that you offered up yourself, that you came down and made yourself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. Thank you, Jesus, that you did what no man could do. And this morning we give you glory and we give you honor and we give you praise and we say thank you, Lord. We say thank you, Jesus. And, and I pray for those who are feeling heavy laden and those who are burdened and those who've been tired from this year. I pray that they would receive the, the rest of God. And that, if that's you, just raise your hands to God and say, Lord, I receive your, your grace, I receive your kindness, I receive your mercy, 
I receive your cleansing. I receive your goodness. I receive your, your very love, Lord, which is poured out for us to know. And, and I, I say thank you, Lord. Thank you for this gift that you've given us. And we, we praise you and we exalt you this morning. Would you be exalted this morning, Lord? Would you be praised? Even as we, we sing this song, I, I ask that you would be praised and exalted, Lord. Your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to go out with a song.